1: Friday, yay! My favorite day of the week, always has been and continues to be. Got a big show lineup up for you today. We're going to be talking to Claire Fullerton. Oh, she's a Memphian living out in California now. Talking about the crazy weather they're having out there as we are here, but not as crazy as California. Uh, and then we're checking with Luke Vargas, who's with the Wall Street Journal in London. Find out what's happening overseas. And we're also going to talk to two authors of a book that was uh, founded after a high school reunion, uh, they got to talking and decided they had a book in them. Uh, we'll talk about their book. It's called Rock Around the Clock to TikTok. And then uh, uh, we got uh, Randy Wright with the Dive Shop coming in to talk about how to make sure you don't have a disastrous vacation by going to one of these resorts. Because you know what it's like. You're trapped like a rat. <laughs> but if you're going with people that are that are putting on the deal, they're there with you. They're not going to let that happen. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we're also, uh, let's go straight to the phones and talk with Claire. Good afternoon, Claire.
2: Hello, Earl. How are you?
1: I'm good. What's the weather like in the beautiful, sunny Southern California?
2: I am thrilled to report that right now the sun is shining. It's 60 (laughs) degrees, light wind, and I've been at Leo Carrillo State Beach for the better part of the morning for the first time in days.
1: Well, I know y'all had some really bad weather out there. You've had incredible snowfalls. I saw a, a picture of the day of Tahoe. A guy standing next to one of the, the chair lifts, and the snow is right up to the bottom of the gondolas, the, the little chairs that you ride in. I mean, it's unbelievable. I believe
2: it. Yeah, I believe it. And this is funny, Earl. I think it was two days ago, mid-afternoon, I was on the telephone with somebody, and all of a sudden, I heard banging against the window. And the last thing in the world, of course, I'm going to jump to the conclusion of is it's hail coming down <laughs> <laughs> And I'll look out the window and it was hail. I <laughs> just thought, okay, well, I have now seen it all what's the date today because we're in March you know I was just like, this has been the strangest. I've been in California for 30 years, maybe maybe 32, whatever. You get the idea. yeah I have never seen a winter like this, as long as I've been here, I feel like it's been raining since November.
0: Well, we do too I here,
2: did.
1: but in Southern California, you get very little rain. It's almost like West Texas. And
2: well, it's drought, and yeah. that's the reason why in 2018 the fires, yeah, you know, had their field day and had their due because the drought every single year. We never see it like this. It's been absolutely freakish. But now it's so green. I bet you can't believe it. Yeah, it's beautiful.
1: I saw the the wildflowers you put pictures up on your Facebook page the other day, and they're popping out all over, which is the great thing about the desert. If you give it just a little bit of water, all those seeds are there, and it just erupts in color and wildflowers and all kinds of stuff. It's all there. All it needs is a little water.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's true. And do you know what lupine or lupin, however you pronounce it, but the purple stalks that are wild
1: and, and you Cat- know what I'm talking about? Is it, Kathy Ka- will know. Yeah, she probably <laughs> knows. I'm sure she will.
2: Kathy knows everything. But um, they're all over the hills. Oh, wow. House, and it's just glorious.
1: Well, I know that we do have that. There's a the purple flower, and it's kind of like a short little stalk that pops out in the spring. You'll go over to Arkansas, and it'll be over by Horseshoe Lake, which you know well, you write about. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, just rolling hills of it, as far as you can see. So I'm, I'm sure that's what it is. I just didn't know what the name of it was. But Right, yeah. Because uh, the, the, yeah, we've had this incredible uh, cold snap where we everything, I think, got frozen. There's still a lot of my plants. I'm still not sure if they're ever going to come back. Uh, well, y'all are going to get
2: hit tonight, aren't you? Is it going to rain
1: there? We do. We have a, a front that's uh, right along the river right about now. It's going to cross over about seven tonight. Uh, high winds. We've already had some gusty winds, but they say we could have 50-mile-an-hour winds and thunderstorms and possibility of tornadoes, all kinds of stuff. Now, as I was talking to Ron Olson, your friend and my friend.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah.
3: He, yeah,
1: He said, whenever they say it's going to do this, it never does it. He's a
2: professional contrarian.
1: I he, love it. <laughs> he is. And, and so Karen goes, well, now you get a to jinx us because you said it's not going to happen. So it will happen. We don't want it to happen.
2: So, uh, I don't know if Ron Olson says it's going to happen, it's going to
1: happen. Yeah, as I often tell him, he's the luckiest human being I ever met in my life. He literally just uh, he was had some kind of bet going in one of the basketball tournaments here recently, and he said if I win this, and it's this thing where you, I don't I don't bet, so I don't know how this all works. But anyway, he was going to end up winning all this stuff if he just one had one number right, and and he won, you know, and so. <laughs>
2: I, I love it.
1: Yeah, so, anyway, I just try to stay near him and hope that some of the good stuff falls off and heads my way. Uh,
2: I don't know, uh, Earl Farrell, from my perspective. <laughs> you're doing all right. Well,
1: I have <laughs> I have been rather fortunate, I will have to admit. Uh, the good Lord has smiled upon me, and, uh, and I don't know why. But I think most people, somebody was, uh, well, Alan, my producer, was just talking about you living down in California. And he said, lucky you. I said, yeah, but. You know, it's, uh, and you don't know how you end up someplace. I mean, how in the world did I end up in Memphis? You end up in California and, uh, you know, we were, I guess where we we're supposed to be. And,
2: uh, I think so. And it's funny how, how time and tag kind of get away from you and you turn around and you say, I've been here for a long time and I didn't see it coming. <laughs>
1: well, it's cause it goes faster and faster as it continues to unfold. Um, like these people coming on today after you, they, they wrote a book. They went to a high school reunion. I think they're 50th, they're 60th, and got to talking. And then they started saying, well, let's not end this with the reunion. So they started uh, Zoom calling each other and started talking about all the things that they had planned on doing, some of them they did, some they didn't, what worked out, what didn't work out. So they wrote this book from, um, from a rocket around the clock to uh tick-tock. And just to all the dreams and hopes and aspirations, what really turns out to be important? Because I think that all changes with all of us as we grow older, is that what was really important we thought we just had to achieve when we are young. And then as you get older, you look back and go, that really wasn't the deal at all.
2: The best laid plans of mice and men, right?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it
2: the- is, I, I'm so interested in that. And I'm going to jump to Facebook. And catch you live uh, to hear about that book. It's a it's a wonderful premise I love, for a book.
1: I, I love the premise and, and the fact that they got together and started talking because I think uh, that's it, it's like anything else you do in life. About the time you really get good at it, the game is over,
3: <laughs> you know. <laughs>
1: and, and such as life is about the time you really kind of figure out what's going on. Uh, you're up in years and then you sit there and you try to explain it to young people and they look at you with that glazed over look going, yeah, 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 sure. But it really is Well, that's is very true. well
2: said. And I think it's about the time you start to figure out how to navigate mm-hmm. what it is that's going on. And and I'm starting with each passing year. You know, I, of course, am still a spring chicken. Of course, I am. You I'm are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But I really do think, That when you hear the expression, it's the path, not the destination. There's such truth in that because, and that's, I think if you were to say, what's the one lesson that you've learned in the last 10 years, I would say the utter truth of that, that it's all about how you choose to experience, you know, your, your method, your path to your destination, whatever your goal is going to be. Because I I think we we, uh, We choose new goals, you know, throughout the years. You you find that you you have some other interest or passion that you want to start to explore with with some type of understanding in mind. But, yeah, again, I do think that it's all about the exploration of whatever whatever it is that has your interest.
1: I do want to mention. As
2: opposed to some definitive goal.
1: I do want to mention your book, uh, Little T, that's T-E-A. Uh, by Claire Fullerton, that you get it at uh, Novel and, or on any of the book places. Uh, but she's got several books out. You'll see all of them when you look her up. Uh, I was looking at one of the books that you reviewed uh, about uh, my last year of innocence. I think was the name of it.
2: Oh my last innocent, innocent year. My last innocent yeah, year. That's, that. Yeah, that's a girl out of Ireland, and it was a, a debut novel and. Thank you for mentioning Little T. I really appreciate that. That, that book is that in Memphis, coma Mississippi and Heber Springs, Arkansas. And that book is, uh, I was trying to capture the way that women really speak amongst themselves. Um, when there are no men around, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, 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 they try to solve the problems of the world and, and give sage advice and all of this. And so that's what that book was about. But, um, What you were going to say about the reviewing is, I do review books for the New York Journal of Books, and uh, they just send me, I can request the book, or I can bring them a title for them to get to me, but either way, I I get the book, and I read it, and I review it. But my last Innocent Year was a debut novelist um, out of Dublin, Ireland, and uh, she stuck the book in New York. And it, 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 it was a very, very interesting read um, about her her coming of age, as it were, in her first couple of years uh, of college at a liberal arts college somewhere in Vermont. So it was a fictitious setting, but uh, yeah, it was a great book. I really enjoyed uh, being a book reviewer well, because I get to read a, a lot.
1: Well, you can, you can look at that review and the other review she, she has. This, go to Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E, Fullerton, F-U-L-L-E-R-T-O-N, and um, and you'll be able to see all the book reviews she does. Plus, you get to look at uh, where she lives, which is a treat. I'll go there and look at it. I take many vacations to just look at what she looks at every day. Uh, but uh, we will check back with you here in a few weeks to see, uh, A, what new books you've reviewed, but also uh, what the weather's like out there because— It's going to go, I know what's going to happen here, it's going to go from thunderstorms and too cool and rain to just hot. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) No in-between, We live in the extremes. So good talking to you, Earl, and I'm going to jump to my computer to hear about this book.
1: All right. Well, it was always good talking to you, Claire, and uh, uh, go look at the ocean right before sunset for me, okay?
2: I'll do it for you. Thank you, Earl. (laughs) Bye-bye.
1: She wasn't going to do it anyway, but but thank you, Claire. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. And welcome back on a Friday afternoon. We do have some weather moving in later this afternoon, so be aware of that. It could be some severe weather, a possibility of uh, tornadoes, uh, thunderstorms, lightning, you know, high winds, all the good stuff. Uh, I did see an interesting article uh, coming out of Colorado. It's a picture of the first McDonald's to be fully automated. I mean this is this this could go badly <laughs> this is if they could if they can pull this off, but it may go it may we it may work out great. all I know is I go to this, a lot of the McDonald's I don't go often, but the words one in Germantown Germantown they popular you go in there and they want you to use the automated stuff you know where you order do everything over there, and then they just put the food out on the counter and uh it never works for me it never works. I can only imagine what this this is gonna be like you pull up and It'll be an Android voice going, what would you like? (laughs) And you tell them, and it goes, could you say that again? I have to say Earl every time I go to any of these places. Can I get a name for that order? Earl. What's that again? Earl. Earl. (laughs) E-A-R. So, I don't know. I I knew they were going to try it because it's it's all been heading that way quite some time. But that's out in in Denver. We'll, We'll monitor there and see what's happening. So, well, that's opening up. Uh, we got Wanda Halbert here, who's the county court clerk, who has had nothing but problems since she took over this office. And uh, she's been given until the end of business today to find another location for the pauper uh, clerk's office, which is where everybody stands in line. At least they got a awning they can stand there in the rain for hours and hours and out of the heat. Uh, God knows where they're going to move next. Apparently, the lease is up on that location at the end of, the, uh, end of June. When they say they need time to uh, to find another location to to outfit it to get make it suitable for you don't need anything but a garage to operate that operation man just open up a garage put some tables and chairs in there and people come in they tell them their names you hook up to the computers you plug into the wall get Wi Fi it ain't it ain't that big a deal it's not like we're making a hospital where you got to have operating rooms and stuff uh, but for some reason she can't pull it off so they're gonna they say they're gonna come in. And say that uh, she's in dereliction of her duty, and uh, that uh, I guess I'll just give her the boot. God knows what will happen then. (laughs) We won't have her at the helm. Who's running things around here? They say she's uh, unavailable for comment today. She's in all day meetings. Um, I'll bet. I'll bet. But we'll see what happens with that. Uh, uh, it said she's uh, faced severe criticism of the past um, year, from long lines to serious backlog of license plates. I saw a car yesterday, a brand-new car, and they have an expiration date on paper drive-out license uh, tags. And this would expire on the 3rd of this month, and they're still driving around with no new tags. So, you know, that's uh, that's the name of that game. It's, uh, no matter what you do, I mean, we've got ours. I, we always do it online and got ours in a timely manner. But if you, for some reason have to go down to the clerk's office, good luck. Um, said no word from the uh, mayor Harris today, uh, but in a letter that he says, he'll be forced to call a special meeting of the County commission and discuss further actions. And which would be interesting because she's an elected official. And, uh, Elected officials are elected by the people. And I thought you had to be impeached, but I'm not sure how that would even work or whether it would be a special election uh, or whether he could just come in or they'd have to do it from the state. I do know that uh, when we were talking to Terry uh, Rowland, who's uh, up in Millington, former member of the county commission, talking about just uh, the, the district attorney, if things continue to spiral out of control as far as people being released on no bill or half bill and crime continues to escalate that the, in the DA's office they don't feel like it's doing their job that the state can step in there. So maybe the state can step in in her office as well. So we'll keep you apprised uh, of all that. And uh, then uh, it's uh, – I was hoping that we'd hear from uh, Joe Sellepec, but I think that he may be out of town because it is spring break for a lot of people. I sent him a message earlier. He's always very prompt in getting back. Uh, but uh, the – House did vote to pass the Parents' Bill of Rights today over objections from the Democrats, who argued that the bill is aimed at promoting fascism and extreme views of Republicans by making it easier for parents to ban books and out LGBTQ plus students. Uh, The GOP bill is a response to growing anger across the country about Access to information on everything from school curricula to safety and mask policies to the prevalence of gender ideology and the critical race theory in the classroom. Parents' anger over these issues at school board meetings led to the effort by the Biden administration Justice Department to examine and and uh, call them uh, domestic terrorists. Uh, the, no Democrats voted for it, and they expect it to die in the Senate because they're not going to vote for it. We'll keep you abreast of that as well. We we'll take a break. We got Luke Vargas up next from London. Stay with us.
0: The mighty nine ninety covers the mid south from South Haven to Germantown. Nine ninety AM, one zero seven nine FM, KWAM. Now, back to the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. Once again, Earl Farrell.
1: And welcome back on this Friday afternoon. We're going to the United Kingdom, London, uh, where my good friend Luke Vargas, who's with Wall Street Journal, is there. Do you like the picture I put up of us today on the promo for the show, Luke? I didn't see it. Which which one is it? Taken 1912 when you were here,
3: <laughs>
1: covering an election. You you looked like you were like 18, and I looked like I was uh, 64. As a matter of fact, uh, but uh, I, I found that on your your Facebook page. I was looking for a different picture of you. and I thought I'm going to use that one. That's kind of it's out in front of. I've Hulk.
4: grown up, but if I remember correctly, my hair was kind of a mess that day, and it's equally a mess today. So you <laughs> get new jobs, you move places, some and things, your grooming habits.
1: Don't improve. <laughs> just just don't, don't change. It's uh, We're all the same people no matter where we are. Talking Again, to, perfect for radio. Yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've, grown in, TV. <laughs> I've grown into my radio face here, as a matter of fact. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let's talk about what's going on around the world. You're over there in the United Kingdom, but uh, this, I guess the, one of the big international stories today is a U.S. contractor killed in an Iranian suicide drone strike in Syria. You were actually in Syria not not many years
4: ago. Uh, didn't actually go into the country, probably a good thing in retrospect, got very close on the Jordanian side. That's right. You were
1: at the, um, the refugee camps, right?
4: The refugee camps, which I, I haven't really checked in on them too much, but I did speak to someone who was there several years ago, and they they haven't gone anywhere. They've only wow. gotten bigger. I mean, this in some ways it is. And But what is interesting now is we've, um, what I think we are, 12, 13 years into that war, the Syrian government finally starting to get recognized now by other governments. It seems like that effort to basically freeze them out of the global diplomatic world is kind of running its course. So the page turns a bit and Assad seems to be uh, clearly not getting welcomed with open arms by everyone, but seems to be, you know, countries are realizing you kind of have to work with who looks like they're going to remain. Stick inside. around. Yeah,
1: it's like these, these people ain't going anywhere. And uh, and I do think, too, that as time changes, you know, uh, the people that had whatever big grudges against them in the, in the, in the, back in the day, they've moved on, died, uh, gotten out of power, and then you have new people coming in and going, what is it we don't like these people for? <laughs> you know, somebody remind me, because I I can't, uh, and just the dynamics of every situation changes.
4: Yeah, and now, the, you know, the U.S. interests in that country are really no longer about I mean, I'm sure on paper there is uh, some sort of expression of support for democratic groups in the country. Though, as far as I'm aware, that has pretty much yeah. petered out. Uh, Assad has basically stomped them out. Now it's about c- counterterrorism, right? And that's why we're there. It's that's sort of how the drone attack that killed an American contractor and injured, I believe, five others, um, there five or had six others on that week base, comes into it. And then yeah, that- so we've got some personnel. it's pretty modest as far as I've. For it described though, I doubt we're getting the full picture yeah. of how many <laughs> yeah, the, folks are there. But it's not massive. I mean, it, we're, no, we're not talking about a yeah. Afghanistan or Iraq level yeah. deployment. So there's a residual force there fighting terrorism, and, and you have a few other countries still sticking around in that region, basically saying, you know, we're, we're here mostly just to stop this from being a, a breeding ground for terrorism. And so the Iranians want that to stop. That's what U.S. intelligence says. That's why a uh, evidently Iranian made drone was used to crash into this facility that that killed the contractor i believe yesterday so you well, know they they want that even modest deployment to end yeah
1: i'm still not clear what they mean by Iranian suicide drone a drone by its nature is a pilotless aircraft correct so what would a su- I,
4: that is an interesting point i haven't considered the semantics of it i mean i i suppose it's a a the drone is never going to be used again, right? It, it, it itself is expensive. So a self-destructive you know. drone,
1: because what yeah. they did is flew it into this uh, location, this construction area, uh, and and uh, it said it was capable of firing but did not fire. So that's what I think it means is that they just flew it in there and used it as, a, as the explosive device.
4: Yeah, I mean, we've seen a real proliferation of this. Um, they're being used in Ukraine. These Iranian-made mm-hmm. drones are being, as far as the, the U.S. is is concerned, uh, they they'll say Iran is supplying these to Russia. Russia's using them. It seems to be strapping, you know, payloads to them and and sending them at uh, Ukrainian targets. But the Ukrainians have gotten a little bit better at getting uh, them out of the sky and and disabling them in other ways. But also throughout the Gulf. I mean, there's been some really fascinating stories in the last year or so about drones that are flying from Yemen going hundreds of miles across the open desert. I mean, I don't, I I don't, I've never been there, but I one has this <laughs> image of like swirling winds and dust clouds yeah. and and these drones apparently, you know, go very long distances and they, they smashed into oil facilities there. There was one in the Emirates that also got hit, Saudi Arabia. So this is, I mean, in some ways it's, it's nightmarish, right? This is the kind of sort of um, cheap, powerful an easy-to-proliferate military technology that can have devastating effects that really does seem to be kind of sprouting up all over the place.
1: Well, then I'm looking at this article, Russia caught sending ancient 1940s-era tanks to Ukraine as they run out of weapons. So you've you got ultra-modern re- weapons being used, like the Iranian drones, and then you got the Russians uh, bringing up some old tanks. I guess they're going to the old neighborhood armories and get the tank out front they got parked out there since world war ii and cranking it up and see if it still runs but my goodness yeah uh, can you imagine them going up against the modern weapons that the, that we're now supplying ukraine with i mean they they take yeah, out and especially
4: the, the the new tanks heading to the battlefield but it is a, it's a it's um uh, it's hard to i, I want to try to check my sort of enthusiasm for thinking about the, the military history implications of this current war, because obviously it's so destructive now. Um, and yet it is somewhat fascinating to step back and consider the fact that you have billion multi-millions and sometimes billion dollar planes going up against, I, I can't imagine some of these drones, um, even the ones that are having great effect are really all that expensive. They don't spread that fast, that quickly if they are not basically unbox them you know, and point get them. them up in the sky and, go. and operate them without too much training. I mean, yeah. this gulf between the, the high end and the kind of almost retail level technology that is being spun up into military applications is is, is mind-blowing.
1: Well, it, it is. And then also the destruction. You look at Ukraine. I mean, uh, it's hard to get a, a good picture of it. I know just from covering news myself and you have been around the world covering news. You go to an area that's a lot of destruction. You think the whole country looks like that. And then later you find out, no, that was just a small pocket. What is your impression from what you see and what you hear in in U.K. about what's going on there as far as how widespread the
4: damage is in Ukraine? Yeah, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. And, and as far as I'm aware, the situation hasn't dramatically changed. I mean, we continue to see – I mean, these both sides are – Fortifying defenses. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just watched All Quiet on the Western Front, the uh, Oscar Best Picture nominated film out of Germany this year about World War One trench warfare, a hundred odd years ago, right? And we are now back in something quite similar to that. Yeah. I mean, you literally have—I uh, saw some footage the other day of Ukrainians attacking Russian um, excavators that are literally digging trenches in forests. I mean, we are we are right back to this kind of warfare again. It's brutal. It is deadly. It per- it, it leads to long lasting conflicts where you're fighting over, you know, feet <laughs> yeah. and not towns anymore. As we saw. I mean, that there was that burst last summer, right, where Ukraine had kind of a really fast offensive and they clawed back maybe dozens of cities in, in the span of days. And you sort of got the impression maybe this war was going to continue to play out at that level. It's not the way things are going right. These sides are digging in. It's going to it's going to yeah. last a long time. And yet, I guess a small, small, uh, you know, silver lining here is that this this kind of warfare engages militaries at very close quarters. It it potentially means you can kind of isolate fighting to certain areas areas where it's just the military. Um, And I think everyone would hope cities and residential areas continue to be spared, though that clearly hasn't happened to date.
1: We're talking with Luke Vargas. He's with the Wall Street Journal in London, England. We're going to take a quick break, come back, and I'd like to talk about uh, France and the retirement situation over there. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Stay with us. And welcome back on a Friday. We're on the phone with Luke Vargas. He's with the Wall Street Journal. Lives in London, England. I've been to Paris, Tennessee. Not the
4: same. <laughs> Probably less trash. <laughs> Probably.
1: Uh, <laughs> before we get to the Paris, well, less,
4: less flame, less flaming trash, <laughs> and less fireworks being used as a as a a weapon against the. Pol- God, God, this is it's really getting pretty intense there in Paris.
1: I was watching a report last night, uh, and they they had that burning trash, and and the the anchors said. I called that a fire earlier. They tell me now that that is simply a um, a torch, to, so they can see by. And I'm going, oh, that's an interesting analogy. It's a, it's a burning trash is now considered a torch, uh, depending on who's reporting it. Uh, before we go there, though, I just saw this article just popped up by uh, the Daily yep. Star. It says Putin ridiculed for sending body double to Ukraine. Uh, is he's afraid for his life? He thinks of people trying to kill him. So he's using body doubles. Have you heard anything about this?
4: I haven't, though I was aware he went to Mariupol several days ago, which was that city that was re- the subject of incredibly intense fighting at the beginning of the war. Uh, the Russians ultimately prevailed there. Um, it was destroyed, utterly destroyed. Um, and while it's a little bit back from the front lines, it has come under, I believe, um, some attacks from Ukrainian forces even this week. So I, I, c- I can't speak to any potential use of body doubles, but it, <laughs> it certainly is a is a very dangerous area. So yeah. I, you know, at the very least, Putin would have used every precaution and would have been, I think, justifiably anxious about the security situation there. You can't really. You've seen attacks on Crimea, well, oh, well behind the the front lines. so. You know,
1: even when the war first began and uh, they had heard there were these assassins that were being sent in to uh, to kill uh, the Ukrainian leaders and they hunted them down, and killed all them. And uh, so, yeah, I would say a dangerous place is is it. And and, um, the Ukrainian people, they're they're very resourceful. So I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, take them lightly under any situation. Uh, the, the people in Paris, though, so this is a big deal because the people in Europe, and I guess, do you get five weeks vacation now that you're in London? Because <laughs> everybody in Europe That's seems right. like they get the summer off. Five,
4: you know? possibly, possibly six. though. I, it comes with a um, – it's interesting. So my, my previous job had unlimited vacation, and, and all the listeners who've had various experiences with um, either sort of no vacation, some companies that say they have unlimited you really do it's like you would think unlimited you know out of office time is like on the end of the spectrum in terms of the most generous thing a company could do and and right. i will tell you it's not at all that way right <laughs> when when you when you told something you could take as much as you want i mean um whether it's a you know, buffet or um you know it or vacation time in some ways that's almost like all you need to you begin to almost self censor, right? You, you yeah. take everything that you're offered. So, yeah, I have. But but yes, the, the benefits uh, over here in the UK are good.
1: Well, the uh, what they're saying now that they want to reel some of them in in France and not allowing people to retire instead of uh, sixty was it sixty four? They they want to... currently
4: sixty two. Yeah. I mean, and this is where it's it is helpful to kind of place all of this in perspective in us you've got kind of a sliding scale right yeah. you can i believe you can get some early social security payments at 62 goes up to 67 for, yeah. for most people born since 1960 i think and then uh, over in europe i mean you've seen a wave of sort of these uh we called them like oecd countries or right? like sort of advanced the d- democracies have, have basically been moving this number up quite a bit now you've got uh, denmark and Aus- australia the uk 66 to 68 i mean 67 sort of a common age in a lot of these countries. And so France, at 62, up until now, currently, right, is, yeah. is, is, is actually now quite low among its peer countries. And the reality, as far as we've heard from economists, is this, this is not sustainable, right? That this, this, this pension system, which many people uh, rely on and, and, you know, don't envy anyone who has to change their plans, right, um, on account of this, but that it just would become an unaffordable system. Pretty quickly, and that's not just France, right? You were no, seeing we had some reporting about South Korea and their retirement plan, or retirement system starting to buckle unless they really have radical reforms. Uh, you don't hear this all that much in the U.S. I took note that um, remember during President Biden's um, State of the Union, yeah, I think he accused Republicans of of having designs on you
1: pushing know, Granny off the cliff she, again.
4: <laughs> well, sort of saying you guys want to, you know, like change the retirement you know, benefits in the U.S. And, and they, the Republican Party very quickly came back and said, not at all. And yet, you know, in some ways, you one almost gets the impression, at least in the U.S., both these parties are just trying to delay the inevitable, right? That they're at some point, you know, the U.S., um, w- much like France, is going, you know, may need to to have these tough conversations. Macron decided to take it head on, right? He expended, it seems like, all his political capital or nearly all of it in trying to just get this two year increase in retirement. I don't, it seems unlikely he's going to be able to get much else done. This will be his legacy and it's up for debate whether that's a good thing or not, but um, it is remarkable in, you know, especially sort of in comparison again to the U S where it seems like both parties do not want to to be be the one seen as starting this conversation that he just went all in on it. Yeah.
1: Well, and and apparently he survived a vote uh, of no confidence uh, from the parliament. So I mean that that has to speak well for at least the people that are in parliament there now. And uh, what backlash you'll see from their supporters uh, will be interesting uh, because uh, the, the, I, if there's one thing I've learned about people from Europe is they value their time off and their lifestyle very much, and they don't like it to have to be changed.
3: And
4: and they'll uh, protest extensively. I mean I I think it's in some ways. I have not seen the power of sustained protests really prove themselves in the U.S. Not in like, my lifetime. Yeah. Here it seems like the, the people power in France is, is intense, something yeah. to be reckoned with.
1: Well, you did have the Vietnam War. I, you were a little young for that, but I was right in the middle of that, so I can tell you it yeah. was powerful. Uh, Luke Vargas, thank you, sir. Always great talking to you and always very informative. Uh, you take care and go eat some
5: fish and chips for me. This is a Bloomberg Pursuits look at luxury. A rare Patek Philippe wristwatch fetched $5.8 million Tuesday in Hong Kong. That's a record for a timepiece in an online auction. The Sky Moon Tourbillon is among the world's most complex mechanical watches and includes a perpetual calendar and a chiming minute repeater. Meanwhile, the luxury watch collections of owners based in Switzerland and Japan have appreciated the most compared to other parts of the world, according to trading platform Corono24 an average of 40% since the date of purchase. In contrast, returns of collectors based in the Netherlands were 24%, while the value of watches owned by German collectors gained 25%. In politics, an eight-foot portrait of Donald Trump by a Salvadoran painter, jewelry from Saudi officials, and a pricey putter from Shinzo Abe are among several unaccounted-for gifts given to the 45th president and family, according to The New York Times. A list released by Democrats tallied about 100 gifts worth more than a quarter million dollars that weren't disclosed. I'm Andrew Day, Bloomberg Radio.
0: I'm Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I learned about atrial fibrillation the hard way. My symptoms would come and go, shortness of breath, fatigue. I kept going, then I got so lightheaded, I couldn't. My doctor said I have AFib, so I'm about five times more likely to have a stroke. Other symptoms, irregular heartbeat, heart racing, Chest pain can come and go, but the risk of stroke stays. If you have symptoms, tell a doctor.
5: Visit notimetowait.com. Sponsored by Bristol-Myers Squibb and Pfizer.
2: Whether you own a local business or a global one, you're always looking for ways to position your operation to create opportunities and move on them faster. With Bank of America, you get access to experts, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter locally and globally. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Copyright 2023 Bank of America N.A. The place
0: where Memphis turns first for breaking news. The mighty 990 AM and 107.9 FM. KWAM Memphis. A Starnes Media Group station. News, traffic, weather. AM.
5: Good afternoon. Quite heavy, actually, south of Memphis as we stare at it live. 55 southbound, just south of uh, South Haven, all the way down through DeSoto County. Plenty of radar down through there as well, all the way down into the cold water. It's picked up again with traffic volume the last few minutes on 40 East, up around 269. Got quite a bit of traffic volume headed up through uh, Fayette County. Hey, if you're involved in an automobile accident, call 901 Attorneys right here in the Memphis area. Check out their website. It's 901attorneys.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. Here's your forecast. Severe weather threatening the Mid-South this evening. High winds, heavy rain, even isolated tornadoes to go along with those gusting southerly winds. Overnight, the rain will be ending and temperatures will drop into the mid and upper 50s by daybreak. Sunshine for the weekend with highs nearing 70. Spencer Lee's Transmission in Horn Lake is family and locally owned. Call 662-393-6800. More than 30 years experience at Spencer Lee's Transmission. I'm News Channel 3's Todd Demers.
1: And thank you very much, and welcome back on this Friday. I've got two guests in studio right now, Virginia Jenny Rowell and Churchill Roberts. And they are the authors of Rock Around the Clock to TikTok. Tock. And uh, welcome to the show, both of you.
6: Thanks, thank you. Thanks for Great having us.
1: Here. You bet. Uh, I love how this came about. You guys went to, uh, was it a high school reunion? Well, it
6: was our 60th reunion. 60th, Some 30th. of us became... Reacquainted at the 60th. And, okay. But we also had a very good class. It's always loved to come back. Yeah,
1: to the slide reunion. a little closer to the mic if you can, Virginia. Okay, is there that better? Go. That's much okay. better, yeah.
6: And so we uh, we reconnected at the 60th reunion, and then afterwards COVID came about, right. the pandemic. And so then we started Zooming on Zoom among all of us, and then a few more would join, a few more would join. And we talked about our life experiences from, you know, 1959 until today. We had two things in common. We both, we all graduated from the class of 59, and we were all turning 80. Wow. I know. Wow is right. <laughs> well, because
1: about the time, like I just turned 72, and by the time you get the, the, the current year in your head that that's your age, it's over. It's the next year. And and it goes by much. And people always tell you that. You don't listen when you're young. I tell people that now. My son's start to believe it. Uh, But, Churchill, when you guys, it was just because you said, you know, this stuff we ought to really put down so other people can take advantage of our experiences and our views of the world and how it changes as you do get older?
7: Well, Earl, uh, at first it started out as, is there anything we'd want to tell our grandchildren? Would we want to leave them something? Uh, had we done anything of significance that we'd like to pass along? And then the more we thought about it, we thought, you know, I think we could reach a broader audience because we've all had some very, very interesting experiences. Uh, one of our group helped with the moon landing wow. back in '69, and his story was was phenomenal. An- another person served in the in the Navy with John McCain, but not Senator John McCain, his father, oh, wow. Admiral, Admiral McCain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh And so it just seemed to snowball, and we thought, I think this is worth putting down, writing. And let's see where we want to go with it,
1: and really, it's well certainly people did achieve great things the average person that grows up, graduates from high school, maybe goes on to college or just goes into the workforce, works their life, raises a family, survives all the things that happen to you over a lifetime, end up having grandchildren helping to raise those that is a huge accomplishment, even in itself, right
7: exactly, absolutely. I've tried, uh, somebody asked us how we might characterize our generation and I said I thought we were mostly privileged kids, mostly shielded from a lot of problems and then suddenly turned loose and all of the social problems of the 60s hit us and we had to deal with all those and frankly we really weren't prepared for that and that's part of what's interesting about some of these stories. Is how we dealt with things like integration, um, Vietnam, and some of those issues.
6: You think about what we've been through in these 60 or you know, 60 years or 65 years almost of, since high school. Uh, the computers, the cell phones, you know, which we were all still learn, trying to learn how to operate. Anyway,
1: but the incredible thing is, you have look at it, you were zooming. Yep. I mean, it's like it's not like you just sat there and said, "Well, it's passing me by." You said, "Okay, we got to get with it. We got to get on board this train." And and you have. You still. My dad was that way. He loved the computers. He loved the fact that you go to Google and find out anything in the world you wanted to find out. We all had to go to the library.
6: Well. So that might be a good thing, though. I mean, you know, back then, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I worry about my grandchildren now, you know, being able just to call anything up on the computer, whereas we had to really study. We had to go research and do stuff like that.
1: Well, as Churchill said, we were much more sheltered. I mean, there were so many things we had no idea about. I I know when I first got into news and— I was working uh, for my first TV station, and I saw a police officer bring a guy in and and open the back door and started hitting him on the head with a billy club, and I called the news director. I said, should I be filming this? He said, get back in your car and come back to the station. He said, uh, well, I'll explain it to you when you get here. He said, some things you just got to let go. We'll handle it. Right. But, you know, things happen. Right. And, uh and that was back in the late 60s, early 70s. And, gosh, in Memphis in 1968, um, the Martin oh, Luther King mm-hmm. Jr. was assassinated, the riots. And, and I'm out in West Texas watching it on television, I'm I'm saying, well, why are the, what, what's going on there? I mean, how come all this is happening? Because we didn't have that same atmosphere, that same uh, legacy going, going on in West Texas. Because, right. it, well, there were very few black people. So, mm-hmm. you know, just, it was not an issue. Uh but even then, I remember going to Sears Roebuck and there was a white water fountain and a colored water yeah. fountain. And my sister okay. said, look, this water is not colored. and It's hard to explain to a child why that is, you know. What do you think it is that, that you probably thought in 1959 was the most important thing in the world? Only all these years later, look back on it and go, it really wasn't that big a deal.
6: What do we think was the most important thing well, back then? Well, just that or, you know,
1: when you graduate from high school, you think being popular, going to getting married, uh, having a good job. What was the, the thing that you were most concerned about back in those days? And did it, then, did it still continue to be, or did something else? Did you find out that the really important thing had nothing to do with what you thought it was?
6: Well, I think for me, um, you know, going to college, although I'm from a big family. I was fifth, of six, five of six children. And I had three brothers, and they all played football, and they went to college on football scholarships. Well, my father had died when I was 11, so I, my mother couldn't afford to send the other three girls, to, the three girls to school. So I came home and got a job. And I guess the most important thing then was to make money, live on my own, and move on from there. And that's part of my story, where I ended up going to Washington, D.C. in the mid-'60s and um, striking out on my own and I was telling somebody the other day maybe it was because I was always somebody's little sister
3: mm-hmm.
6: you know I had two uh, sister older sister and brother went to central and then maybe to establish my own identity i don't know and maybe that's why i went off to col- i mean off to washington yeah, never got a, uh, never got a college education which i totally regret but i had a good job up there i ended up working for the congressman from memphis dan kirkendall back sure. in the 70s um but that that probably was the most important thing that i get a job and i could be on my own
1: well, I think everybody felt that. Everybody, that first apartment you get on your own, I mean, you think, and you get your first car, uh, but to be in D.C. at that and, and uh, to have the guts to go do that, I mean, that took a lot of, uh, a lot of courage to go yeah, did, live in, a, in the yeah. nation's capital and your young girls right out of high school. Yeah. Uh, when you graduated Churchill, what was your next stop?
7: You know, I wish I could say that it was all planned. Everything. Don't <laughs> <laughs> we all? It, it wasn't. Uh, fortunately, I went to a very academically oriented high school, so it was like, you're going to college. <laughs> yeah. So everybody that I knew went to college, so I I went to college as well, and uh I met m- you know my wife there, and that's about all I thought about was getting married and having children and getting a good job, and then. Martin Luther King was assassinated, and uh, I I think that was sort of an epiphany for me. It, it 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 changed my whole idea of what I wanted to do with regard to uh, advanced degrees and uh, what kind of career I was going to choose.
1: And what did you end up doing?
7: Well, I went I went to graduate school at the University of Memphis, which was called Memphis State sure. University in those days, and my uh, advisor. A guy by the name of David Yellen was very active in the community. He had his own uh, television show at one time. And after King was assassinated, he organized a group of people and formed what was called the Memphis Search for Meaning Committee. And the idea was to go and collect as many interviews as possible and find out why did this happen in Memphis. Why did it happen, period? What did people think about it? And that collection now has housed at the University of Me- Memphis. And when I went on to study for my doctorate, I, I thought, you know, I'm going to come back one day and make a film about that. And I did. So my very first film was about the assassination of King, and it was called Keep Your Trash. Wow. And, of course, mm-hmm. that was the sign. That was, <laughs> yeah. you know, what was on all of those uh, placards and everything. Uh, Keep Your Trash. That was the protest theme of, of of the sanitation.
1: And then I am a man. Yeah, yeah.
7: yeah. So, you know, uh, and then I went on to make a, later uh, at the University of Florida, I made two more films about civil rights. It just, it it changed the way I looked at the world.
1: When you, uh, in fact, we've got to take a real break right here. We'll come back, though. I just want to talk about the, the fact that it, whether you have become more, conservative but more liberal as you get older, because everybody says everybody's a liberal in college, and as you get older and older, you become more conservative. We'll talk about it when we come back. Stay with us. And welcome back on a Friday afternoon. I have two very interesting people in the studio with me right now, Churchill Roberts and Jenny Virginia Rowell. Uh, They wrote a book from... Rock around the clock to TikTok, and it pretty much tells it all. They grew up in the 50s, graduated um, from high school in 1959. Right. And uh, Churchill went on to the University of uh, Tennessee, and Jenny went to Washington, D.C. to work for a congressman, and uh, both ended up having families and, and raising their kids. And right before we to break, I was talking about as you're young, you know, you're, you're very liberal and try to have a very open mind about things. One thing and I found interesting about my, my father, who passed away in his early 80s, was that he actually became much more open-minded as he got older and was much more willing to look at the other side of, of opinion of somebody. He started reading a lot about the Middle East and about how the, the their thought process and everything. and And I would make some flat statement. He goes, "Well, no, wait a minute. Let's take a look at this." So, do you feel like did you become more conservative as you got older, Jenny, or did you?
6: Well, uh, no, I was conservative. I've been a conservative all my life. Uh, I probably was the first one in my family to vote Republican, to tell you the truth. My father was a Democrat, and most of West Tennessee was a Democrat well, at yeah. that time because most of, of the Boss South. Trump. And yeah, yeah. and um, so when I went to Washington, I worked for. He was a Republican congressman, so.
1: And he was lonely because it was in Washington those days. It was mainly a Democratic uh, endeavor.
6: Well. We were that uh, was during the uh, Reagan Nixon administration. Oh. Well, then then it
1: was that yeah. in fact Nixon. There, nobody knows this because they don't talk about it. Was is still the most popular president we ever had? He won by seventeen million votes when he won his second term, okay. and then uh, resigned. Yeah. Uh, but even then, uh, he was still the most popular president. Got more votes than anybody, and uh, it's uh, which I, I was shocked when I heard that the other day. Churchill, when you were at University of Tennessee, uh, I think would that would be a conservative place in those days.
7: Uh, I, I would say so. Yes, I would say Tennessee was uh, rather conservative. And uh, I, as I told you, after the King assassination, then I was in uh, at the University of Iowa in Iowa City, and Iowa City was kind of a liberal enclave, you know, uh, in the state. In fact, it was very liberal. So I think by the time I finished my Ph.D., I had, I had changed my views on a num- number of things. Um, I, I didn't participate in the protests. Um, I, I really never got into things like pot, uh, any kind of drugs or anything like that. But I was certainly left of center. <laughs>
6: <laughs>
1: well, too, when you get higher up in academia, that is more uh, liberal Thought process and, and attitudes. I went to Texas Tech my freshman year, then I transferred to the University of uh, Texas in Austin, which was very liberal. Mm-hmm. And I remember my father saying, Now, don't go down there and become a communist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Dad, I'm from West Texas, the most conservative place in the most conservative state in the country. I, I think I'll be okay. And and I did. I, I But I enjoyed it. And I think the thing I learned was that um, everybody's got a point, you know, it's just, but it should be. Discussed. that's the thing that stresses me today is that people just want to cancel each other if you don't agree with them that uh, you can't talk to them yeah exactly. and and we had all kinds of speakers that would come to Austin and speak and and now if you if you're, if you don't uh, agree with whatever it is they say or they want to say that they, they shout you down I think that's a, I think the universities are really not doing their their students uh, any favor by letting that continue
3: well one of
7: our authors, uh, shortly after high school, uh, she uh, went to college in New Orleans at Sophie Newcomb, and uh, she married. She was Jewish, and she and her husband emigrated to uh, Israel. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had not seen, talked to her, or anything since graduation. Came to find out that she was, you know, very happy in Israel. She thought she had made the right decision. That we had some of the same ideas because I had made some films about the Holocaust, and uh, I s- started thinking. I said, "You know, she sounded like she had been liberalized or whatever." And she said, "Her husband was just the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> just the opposite." <laughs> it, it, isn't that
1: interesting? That you both have the same experiences, that live together. Yeah. Uh, but uh, heck, anybody who has a brother or sister knows you could be in the same room growing up in the same household, eating at the same table, same food, same parents, and you're just total opposites. So I think that's just who you are, and and uh, that's it. In retrospect, in writing the book, what did you get from that? From all the different experiences, did you, most of the people all happy with the way their lives turned out?
6: Oh, I think so. I think so. And it's just like you know, you see and you hear uh, Churchill talking about what all he's done in his life. We have thirteen others or twelve others, not counting me, that have done wonderful things in their life and and exciting things. And that's why I think that you're. Listeners would should buy the book and read all about the different stories because they go in a lot of different directions. And we have people from all over the world, like uh, in Israel and all over the country. There's only two that still live here in Memphis. Oh, really? The rest of us, yeah, live yeah. other places. And so where do you live now? I live in Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, okay. But Which I lived is, in the Virginia area for 35 years.
1: And Birmingham is really booming. Oh, Every time I go through there, it's bigger. Mm -hmm. And uh, Churchill, you are you back here?
7: I live in uh, Gainesville, Florida, and I teach at the University of Florida.
1: Wow. Um, Well, I'm interested in your films. We should uh, talk again just about your films. I think that would be an interesting subject too. Sure, anytime. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh Yeah. Where can they get the book? And are you guys doing a book signing or anything in town here?
6: Tomorrow we're doing a book launch and a book signing at Novel, which is in Lowell Wood Shopping Center sure. in Memphis at 2 o'clock. So we hope two everybody o'clock. will come out. Uh, we, we won't have all 14 authors there. We'll have four of us.
1: But you'll have the book there. We'll
6: have the book there, and you can yeah. buy the book there, and you yeah. can buy it anywhere the books are sold. That books are sold, and you can get it online. So, I mean, it'll be mm-hmm. and. I heard from a classmate the other day that he's already bought the book and read it. He could wait. <laughs> so, what so.
1: what's been the reaction for the people that have read it? They did, weren't part of writing it, but just have read the book. What what did they kind of comments come up with them?
7: I, I think that the, first of all, you, the thought was, "Oh, look, you know, if your parents had been living, they would have been the only ones who have who, to read it." And yet, as people read it, they they came back and said, "You know." This is really interesting. I had no idea that yeah. you know you experienced this or somebody else
3: experienced whatever. Well,
1: well, congratulations on the book. We got a hard break here, but uh, have a great book signing, and we'll be in touch. I'd like to hear how this develops as well.
6: Okay, thanks a so bunch for having us. You're Thank sure you, welcome.
1: Let's we'll take a quick break, then we'll be right back. Stay with. You.
0: No, back to the Earl Farrell for Memphis show brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards state farm insurance. Once again, Earl Farrell.
1: And welcome back on this Friday afternoon. Joining me in studio now is, uh, Randy Wright with yeah. the dive shop. And, uh, you've been spending some time. I know down in Baton Rouge, uh, Yeah, you're, absolutely. you're uh, with your mom, helping her and, uh, and, but the great thing about that is, and of course, I look at your Facebook page all the time and what you're cooking, and it, it always reflects where you are too. <laughs> so, uh, do you have all the utensils that you grew up using when you go down to uh, your mom's? Yeah, actually,
8: there's you know there's a number of things in there. I brought a couple of things back that that she doesn't use anymore, uh, some more daddy stuff. But one of those kind of things to where it's, some of that stuff is is getting old now. I do I do have my own knives and my own prep tools that are stuck away in a desk drawer in the bedroom that I stay in. But that's just
1: because it's uh, just like uh, skillets. I mean, cast-iron skillets. Uh, I I tell my sister this all the time, because we have my great-grandmother's recipe for uh, seafood gumbo. Uh, But we do it exactly to the recipe. It does not taste the same. (laughs) And I swear it's because we don't have the skillet that she cooked it in.
8: Well, part of that is that. And the other thing is, is that she just wrote those measurements down because somebody <laughs> asked her to. She did she didn't, never really measured anything. You no, know, it was just it's all by feel and a of this, dab blood. of that.
1: Yeah. yeah. And you're right. Yeah. Uh, just had some good friends that got back from a cruise. And uh, I thought one of the things you guys do at the dive shop is you take people to places, but you actually have your people that go with them. Sure. On these, uh, you're going places you've been before. And, uh, this this these folks just came back uh and you know it's sort of like I compared it to when I was a kid. We'd go st- stay in some motel and we'd get the uh, postcards of the hotels or motels we're gonna stay yeah. at, and they always had real pretty girls out by the pool. Sure. And in real life, you get there and the pool drain. There's no pretty
8: girls. <laughs> well, have you noticed you never get the room that you see on Google? Never, never. <laughs> Where is that room? <laughs> yeah, that room I. I don't know where that room is, but it's certainly not at any of the hotels we've been to.
1: But it is, it, it, you know, it, it only has to happen once where you sit there and go, I will never do this again. Because when you, you save up for a vacation, you plan on it, you're excited about it, mm-hmm. and then you go and it's not anything like what you thought it was going to be. When you're by yourselves and you're out there, you're, all, you're really on your own. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. and there's nobody to really complain to. And, and you know that you have to know how to complain. There's a way to complain, there's not a way to complain.
8: There is. I mean, getting upset and, and starting to talk about how much money and blah blah blah, that's not the way you, you negotiate your way into a better deal. That doesn't, no. In fact, usually more it doesn't you, work that way The more you
1: yell at them, the less they listen. That's yes. usually the way it turns out. Well,
8: they know you've only got a week, and uh, <laughs> you're going home and may not ever return. Probably so, won't ever return. You know, they'll never whereas, have to deal with you. Again.
1: Whereas with you guys, I mean, you're bringing groups there year-round, year after year sure. after year after year. So when you come to them and say, look, I, we got to help these folks out. we got a situation sure. here. They're going to listen to you a lot more.
8: Well, you know that happened last week. We had a group going down to the Bahamas on a live aboard on a, you know, they're going to get on a boat, a boat in Nassau and go around the islands diving. And the Tuesday before they were supposed to leave, we get a call from the boat company and the boat broke.
1: The boat broke. Uh, Yeah.
8: Legitimately (laughs) broke. I mean, it's in dry dock now, still in dry dock nearly two weeks later. Um, Now fortunately, we had a group of people who were very flexible. Um, you know, there's nothing we could do about it. Right, can't fix um, the boat. Yeah, but we've got a good relationship with the boat company, and the boat company is going to make sure everybody's taken care of. Not only are they going to get their money back for what they paid to go on the boat, they're also going to get a free week on the boat. Wow. At a time of their choosing, okay? In addition to that... <clears throat> We were able to put together with their help, and I mean, everybody was involved. The clients were involved. Our staff was involved. And Turner Arnold, our guy on the, that was leading the trip, uh, went with everybody down to Nassau because they already had plane tickets. It sure. was too late to try to regroup all that.
1: They'd taken time off, planned it?
8: It was spring break, so hotels down there were sky high. We, they were able to get together and put together an Airbnb. Um, and we were able to book diving with Stewart Cove and get very good pricing. He had space on his boats. Well, so they made a week of it, had a great vacation. And they didn't get to do precisely what they wanted to do, but they all went on vacation, and now they have a free opportunity to go back. Yes. Um, so it's, a you know, those types of things – and all of that has to do with we have people that are professionals at planning trips and dealing with things. And with the new acquisition with Dive Ventures involved, that just puts a whole – there's 18, 17 stores now.
1: and That th- decreases your power even
8: more. Yeah. I mean, and, and the particular vendor on this was fantastic. Um, All-Star Liveaboards is who it is. I can tell you they're just wonderful to deal with. They had no control over what happened. It just happened. Yeah. And Which
1: life does happen. Yes. All the time. And I think that is the, it just, to me, it's sort of like some of the best parties we ever threw about life were parties that we just all got together and said, hey, what are y'all doing tonight? Hey, yeah, yeah. We're going to throw some shrimp on you. Want to come over? It the, the, Because there's no expectations. Sure. And so once things change and you say, well, so we're going to save the trip. Yeah. The trip's safe. We got another place. This is going to be an adventure. Yeah. And I think by the very nature of, of what you guys do in, in SCUBA, it is an adventure. You're looking sure. for new and different things to experience. Exactly. So to sit there and tell them, hey, plans have changed, but here's what we're going to do now. They go, great, I'm, I'm, let's go.
8: Yeah, let's, that, well, we had the vast majority of the crew was like, well, we're going to NASA. You know? What are we going to do? Okay, well, here's some, here's some ideas. Here's some things that we can do. We know who dives down there. We know who the operators are. Hotels were radically expensive. We found out really quick that they were trying to milk. The hotel companies were going like, well, you know, we got limited space available. It is spring break. And if you really need a room, it's going to cost you. Yeah. But fortunately, somebody, one of the clients actually got on the Internet and found an Airbnb. They they were going to be on a 60-foot boat with 20 people, right? So... It was going to be close quarters anyway, so they just all piled up in this Airbnb. Very similar to being on the boat. They just weren't didn't have to worry about it rocking. No,
1: and the thing about it is, uh, anybody that's ever been on a boat, uh, the, you're not talking luxury. You're talking you do have a bunk.
8: Uh, some of them are. This one's more, this is more of an economy style thing. This particular boat with this company, not the company at all. They have boats of all kinds and sizes all over the world. Um, from, you know, this 60 foot sailboat that'll take 20 people to, you know, 110 foot trimarans that take 20 people. And you've got a room the size of the studio with a bed and an inside head and, oh yeah, very, very nice. Um, but it just depends on, you know, whether you're in that crowd or you're in the other crowd and, and how much you want to spend on a vacation.
1: Well, and uh, but it is being very adaptive. I know these people; uh, people are going on cruises. You always think um, you look at the pictures of that, and it looks like all the fun and stuff. And then you hear about those boats; they get out there and they lose power in the Gulf a few summers ago. Remember that one? They had to mm-hmm. tow back in, and people were in their rooms. I think that was when the COVID thing hit too, and they were all
8: got stuck in Miami for. Oh, you know a week or so on the boat couldn't get off I, that which type of stuff is to scary. me
1: I would much rather go on a small trip where you're with 20 people on a boat as opposed to 4 thousand people
8: yeah it's uh it's a different experience altogether of course these things are diving specific we are going to places to go diving so there's not there are land tours and things involved but the the focus of doing live aboard diving is the idea that you can do three five, sometimes six dives a day. Mm -hmm. So because the boat's there, you're on the water, all you have to do is get off and blow bubbles.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which is what they want to do. Exactly. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. We're talking with Randy Wright with the Dive Shop. Uh, We'll come back. We'll talk about some trips they got coming up. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back on this Friday afternoon, Uptown Funk. No uptown funk where the dive shop goes, though. They always go to really cool places uh, uh, that uh, there's diving available, obviously. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you go really all over the world. You go to the Caribbean, the Pacific. Yeah, yeah.
8: it's everywhere. I mean, the, the, anywhere, of course, for people that are true divers, any place there's water deep enough to get your face in is pretty good stuff. <laughs> but, you know, we do travel all over the world. I'm looking at, at right now in Indonesia. Uh, and Micronesia and um, Polynesia and you know just all of that South Pacific stuff because now that it started to open up and travel is relaxed a whole lot more. Then
1: you, you, are are the people and the people that even came back from the Bahamas are are, are they finally like. Are flights full or people, because I had record travel over the flights. Flights
8: are full and and they're iffy. Scheduling is still problematic. Crews are, you know, they don't have enough air crews and all that kind of stuff. So people are getting stuck. I mean, we had the group coming back from Nassau that got stuck in Miami and didn't know when they would get home. And they walked over to American and quote unquote, nobody wants to go to Memphis. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all jump on. Uh, and they got a flight right straight back to oh, Memphis. Wow. And then I was just looking at some other friends on Facebook that wound up having to fly to D.C. and then to Memphis and were like 20 hours getting home.
1: Wow. So, yeah. Which I just talked to a guy today that said he has to travel for a living. And he said, uh oh, he said, it's, it's nothing like it used to be. And he said, you never know when you leave, when you're going to get there. And when you come back, you never know if or when you're going to get back.
8: Well, our crews, our personally, our traveler people are going in a day early now,
1: just because just because of the variances. Yeah, and okay.
8: we're we're recommending that customers pay, uh, you know, that they book an extra night at the hotel and go in a day early, just so that their vacation doesn't get messed up. Um, but even so, sometimes that doesn't work.
1: Well, but I would rather have an extra day on vacation than an extra day at work. Before exactly. Before, <laughs> so That's, I'm, I'm kind of like that. <laughs> That's not a sacrifice. The uh, is it, it, I know that the the seaweed problem coming across the Atlantic is uh, coming to visit again.
8: Well, it's actually coming across the Gulf. I mean, that stuff you know comes around south and then comes up. The stuff that you see in Destin, they've gotten in Cozumel right now. I mean, we mentioned earlier that your friend that was in Cozumel on their cruise said that the water was kind of green. Yeah, and that kind of stuff. Well, they had a few windy days. Um, and that sargassum is in in the Cozumel area, and of course it's going to collect against the beach. Sure. And then if it gets windy and rough, it's just going to stir all that stuff up. So that while the diving, you know, you yeah, you got a little coating of that stuff on top, but, but you're once you get down there, it's down. clear. It's clear as a bell. So
1: the uh, in fact, I heard Barbados was using something like. Uh, 1,500 dump trucks a day to clear their beaches and get it off of there. Has it reached uh, the Florida's panhandle yet?
8: I don't know about the panhandle. That's, you know, current-driven. has got to come all yeah. the way around into the Gulf and then over there.
1: Because I know most people from here go to the panhandle. where sure. you good in Florida. We were there last year, and we're going again this year, around the 18th of May. And it, we were there about three days when it started showing up then. Right. And then it just got progressively worse, but it's like we said, hey, we go on vacation. You say you can't go to the beach? Great, we'll go to the restaurants. Yeah. And we'll go to the bars. And there's we'll plenty go to, to do. There's plenty to do. And you, just, you adapt, just like you guys did there. Uh, some of the other trips you got coming up. Well, where where are you going?
8: Oh well, we've got um, we're going back to Cozumel here in um, in the early part of May. Uh, then in June, we're going to Curacao. Um, then, I mean, it's just if you go out and look, go to go to the dive shop at DiveShop1.com, and then once you go to travel on that page, look around. You'll see our just in-house stuff that we're doing. Then go to DiveVentures, D-I-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S, one word, dot com, DiveVentures.com, and look at the more than a 100 trips that are available wow. to you. Uh, all professionally led with trained trip leaders, all handled by our corporate travel side. So there's a group of three people in Omaha whose job it is to make sure that everything goes smoothly. Um, and they, they track everybody in the air while they're moving, what's going on, where people are, so that the trip leader knows who's where, anybody that's been held up, you know, we have people that are available to you 24 hours a day to help with your travel. If nobody else
1: does that, I mean, you guys do it because not only are you taking them on the trip, you're also taking them on the, the dive. Sure. And uh, everybody else, you, whether you do a travel agency or or you book it yourself, you're just you're really out there with the ticket agents at the airport, and um, anybody you can get on the phone, good luck with that.
8: Well, you've got a concierge, concierge. I mean, that's what's going on. You have a person on the trip, sometimes more, it can be two or three, depending on the size of the trip, how many people are traveling. And some of those people may be dedicated to the dive activities. Other people are dedicated to making sure that you get out to eat with the group that you wanna go out with, or with the main group as they're moving around. But all of the activities are as they're planned, they're announced. Uh, They do a lot with um, one of the online uh, group chat things. To where you're getting constant updates about well today here's your opportunities you know dive boat leaves at this time we're meeting for breakfast then the dive boat leaves at this time and then at one o'clock we're going over to the to the ruins on the other end of the island so what do you want to do
1: well also if you are going on some kind of a cruise or something you get the kids you want to get outfitted go to the dive shop and get mask fins snorkels because the other stuff. It's a waste of time and money. and uh, It is
8: to a large extent. I mean, there, there are some good things available if you know what you're looking for. The problem is fit
3: on that stuff. Mm-hmm.
8: If your fins don't fit, your feet are going to hurt. You're not going to have fun. If your mask doesn't fit, it's going to leak. You're not going to enjoy it. And if you spend a bunch of money and the stuff's not good next year, then you're really not <laughs> going to like it. Tell them
1: how to get in touch with you at the Dive Shop. Give us
8: a call at 901-763-DIVE. Visit us on the web at DiveShop1.com. That's the number one. Or come by and see us at 999 South Gates. Have a great weekend,
1: Randy. Absolutely. Thank you, Earl.
8: Y'all all have a great weekend. Stay out of the bad weather.